In that first lesson we heard, um, there's a lot more to the story, uh, but the, the salient point is that David, King David, who's like this larger-in-life figure in the history of Israel, David, who like made a lot of not-so-great choices in his life as well, but also David, who was wholeheartedly all-in in his love and devotion of God, it is under David that the 12 tribes are finally brought back together and unified. So it is looked back at the, like, the golden age of ancient Israel. One of David's sons, Solomon, becomes the king next. And Solomon is considered one of the wisest people in all of the Bible. And he makes some really good choices. Um, however, what we just heard was the prophet being like, yeah, except... Solomon was distracted from that wholehearted devotion to God. Because Solomon, he um, built temples to his various wives' gods. He, he, like, he, was, he was a little distracted from like, the main point. And so because of that, the kingdom that has been unified, that has been all together, is going to scatter a bit. And it's going to split, and there is going to be strife. And the biblical story would say like we're still in that space today. So we have this lesson from the Hebrew scriptures to remind us to be all in, single-minded, wholehearted in our devotion, in our worship, in our love of God. And then we get this kind of fun story in John's gospel this morning. This is towards the very beginning of John's gospel. In fact, for those of you that were here last week and heard about the money changers' tables being overthrown and the temple and all that, Jesus and his zeal, that story actually happens right after the wedding of Cana of Galilee, all in chapter 2. Jesus is at a wedding with his mother, with his disciples, with the village, with the, the town, with all the people that he knew. This is early in his ministry in John, so he's called his disciples, he's got his crew, but he hasn't, he hasn't gone as far as to step into Jerusalem. And we have this moment where the wine runs out. It is not lost on me that it is his mother, a woman, who notices, who realizes there's something wrong. We need wine. And in an honor-shame society where hospitality was a really big deal and where... It wasn't like they could conveniently run to the corner store for more wine. This was a huge thing. Like, this would have been such a blemish upon the hosting family to run out of wine at the celebration. So, Jesus' mother is like, hey, heads up. You could do something about this. And Jesus says, you know, woman, what is this to you or to me? Like, my time has not yet come. And when I hear that through my 2023 lens, I'm like, what's he doing? Woman, it's not my time yet. He sounds like a belligerent teenager. <laughs> However, in the context, you know, a couple thousand years ago, it was actually, it was a, um, a term of honor. In fact, at the 9 a.m., Maggie read from a First Nations translation, and instead of woman, it says, like, honored woman. So, like, it, it was not, he was not being dismissive of his mother. Um, but he's like, it's, it's not my time yet. And, once again, it is not lost on me that Mary is like, hmm, let me, let me help you step into who you are. Who you are in process of becoming. I also think when, when Jesus says, throughout John's Gospel, he says it several times, it's not yet my time. Because he's thinking about the end time for him. 
he's thinking about going to Jerusalem where he's going to be walking into the um, crucifixion and what is to follow. It's like his end game, right? And in John's gospel, it was written a lot later than the other gospels, so there's a little more developed theology. So there's more layers in what is actually being said and how it's connecting to other themes, other ideas. So it's his mother who's like, sure, we're not talking crucifixion and resurrection yet, and this is an important time for the life of your family, your village, the people who've helped raise you. Step into your glory and bring blessing here. So the mother of Jesus also is like, she directs to the servants, who in the indigenous translation that we heard at nine, it's helpers. Um, but she directs to them, she's like, do whatever he tells you. So she also has faith that Jesus is going to make a good choice, whatever that may be. These big stone containers are filled to the brim with water, containers for a, a religious rite of purification. They're filled to the brim with water, and you don't, like, hear how it happens, so I can only imagine the fear of the servant who was appointed to take a cup out and go bring it to the steward, because that servant thinks that he's going to go bring a cup of water, which could be like a really harsh way of being like, oops, we've run out of wine. And he offers it to the steward, and then after the steward tastes it, it's like, wow, not only is this wine, this is like the best wine, and we're like late in the party, so now is when you bring out the not-so-good wine because people aren't paying attention to the flavor as much. You save the best for last. Who gets to witness the miracle. It's not the steward. It's not the family. It's not everybody there celebrating. They get to enjoy it, but it's the, the servants, like the, the lower of the characters in the story. It's the, those with the least amount of power in the story. They're the first to witness this sign that Jesus is about something different, something new, something profound. So there's these layers going on in John's gospel. In John's gospel, Jesus's mother is never referred to by name. A little like, oh. however, there's intention in it. There is intention in the fact that she is addressed as woman. Um, and there is intention in this story. The very last line we hear of the story is that his disciples believed. It's like Jesus' mother is reminding Jesus of who he is, of calling him into who he is. And she is also like embracing his disciples of back then, but also his disciples throughout the ages, which includes all of us. Um, so one of the commentaries that I looked at this week was talking about how Mother, Mother Mary, Jesus' mother, is unnamed there because she is stepping into this role. Eve, in the early days of the Genesis stories, Adam and Eve, Eve is like the mother of all creation. And here we have Jesus' mother 
stepping into this role is a little bit like Eve 2.0, but she is becoming the mother of all the believers. At Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus asks one of his disciples, and he, well, he doesn't ask, he gives one of his disciples to his mother and his mother to the disciples. So it's like her legacy, her mothering continues on. So Jesus' mother notices, calls forth this new way of Jesus relating with his village, with his friends, with his disciples, and invites the servants in the story to trust, and invites the believers in the story to step into that trust as well, following Jesus as disciples. The other thing going on is oftentimes in the Hebrew scriptures, in all of the scriptures, a wedding feast is symbolic of a wedding between people of God, which would be like the people of Israel initially, now that is expanded, the people of God and God. And Jesus, in doing this sign, this miraculous turning of water into wine, is reminding us, and he's stepping into this space where we are reconciled in this feast. We are brought back together and the relationship is repaired and knit back together between the people of God and between God. And wine was a sign of abundance and joy and the salvation that we all are invited to step into. For us here this morning, wine and references to wine, I think always or almost always allude to the sacred meal that we will share in a little bit as well. It's really interesting to me how these stories, you can follow threads that knit them together. And so like every time that we share Eucharist, our hearts, our minds can step back into remembering the story of Jesus' first sign and his mother's engagement in noticing and calling him into who he was and is and was in the process of becoming. The, the faith, the trust of all the different figures in that story, we are invited to remember that as we engage and share in the bread and wine of the Eucharist we share today. And just like the Eucharist also brings us to remember that last supper Jesus uh, shared with his disciples, with his close crew. I'm trying to think of how to word it or how to connect it, because I don't want to say like it's like a last supper, but I'm also aware that many of us will be celebrating a meal on Thursday this week, <laughs> and I don't mean to compare it to the Last Supper, um, <laughs> but Thanksgiving is a holiday that we celebrate here, and there's a lot of different um, layers that are happening in Thanksgiving. There's um, a lot of things to be aware of. It's, uh, um, I know I carry some um, grief in a way with um, just the awareness that there is this, like, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to be with family and friends and to celebrate gratitude, right? We should have more of that in our lives. 
And it's a little fraught with some of the details of where the stories originate and the interactions from, you know, a couple hundred years ago. Um, and gratitude is a beautiful thing to celebrate. I was thinking, most years at Thanksgiving, I revisit the general Thanksgiving that is in our Book of Common Prayer. It's not about Thanksgiving, the holiday Thanksgiving. It's just a way of being grateful and sharing thanks. Um, but in the spirit of the season, um, I often read through it, and I included it in the worship email yesterday. If you want to check it out, it's also in the Book of Common Prayer. But there's one line that always gives me pause. I'm going to read it with you. We thank you also for those disappointments and failures that lead us to acknowledge our dependence on you alone. I don't often think to give thanks for disappointments and failures. And when I read that and I was thinking of the scriptures of today and I was thinking of Solomon and how he lost sight of having wholehearted devotion to God, Maybe it was because he was so wise, everything was working so well for him, that he sort of forgot to lean back and settle in and grow deep-rooted trust in God, in the God of his father and the God of his ancestors. I was thinking of the various people at the wedding of Cana who could have had a big disappointment and failure if the wine really did run dry, um, but Jesus Christ in the midst changed the water to wine. There's so much um, focus, I think, in our culture on doing really well and exceeding. And, and I think it's a beautiful thing. Like, we want to work hard. We want to do our best all the time. And we're invited to give thanks for disappointments and failures that lead us to acknowledge our dependence on God alone. There's a lot of disappointments and failures that are also happening out there in the world. Still in the midst of wars and invasions and violence in many different places in our world. And we're also um, in the midst of strife and the ways in which things are not working the way they should, closer to home as well. Today is the last day that we are collecting um, canned proteins to support Ritter Center. Uh, Ritter Center uh, offers um, food and other resources to those in need. Um, and I know there's, a, like, Ritter Center's supplies have been depleted because there is so much more immediate need now, these days, in Marin. And we have this story of the mother noticing, of Jesus stepping into who he is, and of water becoming wine. So I think our invitation today is to lean into that hope, to lean into the purpose, to lean into where we are heading. This beautiful banquet that we can recreate here and now, that we can catch a glimpse of the glory of God here and now, but to lean into those spaces where water does become one.